Well, thank you for coming on. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed uh, the little bit of time we had to talk uh, a few weeks back. Same. Um, and so for our guests that don't know, this is Atticus Schaefer. You may recognize him from a screen somewhere. Um, your, I would say your most known character is Brick Heck from the middle. Of course. Yes. Um, and then you've done some other projects um, and acting, animation, all kinds of stuff. And you yes. are in uh, the godforsaken area called Southern California. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's healing, though. It's healing. We got rain and, and no the, the water table got reset. Scientists really? said it would take decades and God did it in a year. So how much rain did you get? Uh, well, one day alone, we got like four inches and we've had multiple, multiple days of that, like since September, it's just been, wow. we've, we've gotten rain a week since September, almost, almost that consistent, but it, dude, like there's, there's water in the LA river. I haven't seen water in the LA river in 15 years. Is it and a river like, or is it a canal or what? Well, it's a canal it's man-made, but still there's water in it. There's and water so, in it. That's what matters. No, but we do. We have creeks everywhere. When you drive by on the freeway, you look at the mountains. There's water seeping out. Like, and well, there cool. might be there might be a flip going on. There know, might be. Wood, so, um, yeah. So I stumbled. Well, so I've been a fan of the show The Middle since I don't know when for a long time. Nice. Um, and then I followed you on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And then I saw you did a live stream or whatever it was, and yeah. you had a background similar to what you have now. Yes. Yeah. And I was like, huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so we have this magazine, Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, ATF magazine. Yes. And I was like, I don't know if he's into any of the three, but there's got to be some overlap in this Venn diagram with Lincoln on a bear. Yes. And the don't tread on me flag. And I was like, okay, this is fat. This is fascinating. Yes. So we connected. Uh, which I am super happy about. As and the I. more I've dug into your story, the more interesting I think it is, especially um, being a conservative in Hollywood. Yes, um, yeah, absolutely. And so our magazine and our company, we're not necessarily a political media outlet, sure. but I don't think we need to be for this, for conversations like this. For um, sure. And so tell me, I guess, tell me about you. You've been acting for most of your life and you've been in that world for most of your life. So right. let's take it back to the beginning. And So, yeah, no. So I, I am entering or I have entered my 18th year in the industry, um, which is awesome. Uh, it's definitely been an adventure. Um, so I, when I was six, uh, I'll back up to the beginning, the beginning, beginning. Uh, I was a homeschooled child. My mom, my mom knew uh, that unlike my brother, she wanted to homeschool me all the way through. Um, and, and the purpose of that was none other than to, instead of teach me to attest, it was to teach me how to learn and to love to learn. Because when you have those capabilities, everything else in life becomes unlocked to you. Nothing is limited. Um, and, and my mom knew, and my mom has always taught me that the heart and the mind are what's infinite, no matter what physical limitations we have. And I do know that there are some people that might have mental limitations as well. Um, if you can put your mind to something and if you can be constructive and if you can find a way, make a way, and if you can't go to it, bring it to yourself, um, then you are incredibly successful in life. And my mom wanted to equip me really to be the best person that I could be. Was she and, 
was she raised that way or was this is this something that she's like i want this for my kids this this is my mom learning this she this is something that she had learned in her life and it was not taught to her my mom was raised by a single mom uh her father died when she was two so she never got to know her father um but uh and and actually quite frankly for that matter my mom was abused most of her life by her mom anyway and so my mom really had to learn how to be a person on her own Um, and she came to faith in the lord um she was raised catholic but she came to have a relationship with god when she was my age i'm 24 and um and that was actually while battling breast cancer so my mom is no stranger to adversity and pain and all of those other yeah. things that really can shape a person to be a person and based on their own choices, either take that for a positive or a negative. She chose to make it a positive. And so when I was born, uh, my mom and I, we both have a genetic bone condition called osteogenesis imperfecta. And that's a big old long word that the slang means brittle bones disease, but it's, it's so much more than that. The collagen in our bodies are affected. Um, you know, we, we are structured differently and, uh, we are more fragile. And when my mom, you know, found out that I had the same condition that validated it all the more that she wanted to homeschool me and really mm-hmm. have me be able to be in an environment that I could thrive in. Um, it wasn't just teaching to a test or having to deal with the dangers of other children and adults for that matter. Um, but it could be where I could be raised appropriately and be enriched. Mm-hmm. And that's what my mom did. She enriched me. If ever there was a, she, she did everything in her power to take me to the world. And if ever there was a point in time where I couldn't, then she would bring the world to me. Um, and, and that is no different. She uh, enriched me with literature and I was reading all the time as a, as a, as a little, little boy. Um, we would read storybooks out loud together and we would do character voices and all that other stuff. And it was just something that was so fun and enjoyable for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was for her too, because she got to share these experiences with, with her son. And my mom will often say that the, one of the, one of the most beautiful things about having uh, a child, which you will soon learn, is that you get to uh, see the world afresh again through the eyes of your child. Right. Um, yeah. And that's, it's such a magical experience. And in, in the way that she articulate articulates it to me is so beautiful. But um, when I was six, I became the poster child for my hospital, uh, because of my medical condition. And for a year, I, I went and I did um, banquets and I would have to make speeches. And I, I, I did a charity football game where I did a speech at the very end of my time being the poster child. And the whole way through, I was talking with adults. I could speak with adults perfectly fine. I was totally comfortable. I never got stage fright. Um, you know, I could read very well. And so when, when I was at this charity football game and it was halftime and I was giving a speech, mom's up there in the stands with a little camcorder. And she says, you know what? There's just got to be more to it than this. This, mm-hmm. this, this isn't going to end here. And uh, what ended up happening is that um, through a course of events, we found out information for a manager. And my mom thought, you know, Atticus has such a cute voice and maybe he could be a little cartoon character or a book on tape reader or something. And this can be something that could bless him if it becomes fruitful. Um, And so we met with the manager and the manager pretty much said, you know, I think you're great. And yes, you should. I want to take you on for voiceover work, but I also want to take you on for theatrical work as well. We can just see what happens. And so, uh, you know, we thought on it a little bit and then mom and I, we decided to sign on. And when we did. Um, uh, uh, a month later, 
the manager's daughter slash assistant accidentally sent me on a guest star role audition for a CBS show uh, with, that was being made by Warner Brothers called The Class. And my very first director was James Burroughs. And I got to work with Jason Ritter. Uh, and he was my first scene partner. But anyway, I, I did the audition and I booked it. Um, and then everything sort of just snowballed from there. Is that is that something you wanted to do? Or was your mom like, I think you should try this? It Not was that both. either is wrong, but as, I'm curious. Right. No, it, it was it was both because my mom was always so uplifting to me. And then she had brought up about this concept of maybe you could be a cartoon character. And me being a person who avidly loved Tom and Jerry and Looney Tunes. And yeah. at that time, you know, things like Samurai Jack and Ed, Ed and Eddie and all this other stuff were coming out. It's like, oh, I could be a cartoon character like that. That'd be yeah. amazing. Yeah, let's let's I, I want to do this. So it was it was mutual. And and the reality is, is even though I'm the one that's technically working, she's the one that had to do far more work because she had yeah. to still helm my education. She was the one driving us everywhere. You know, while I would be working, she would just have to be sitting and watching or, or you know, doing whatever she would do. So, again, she I would definitely say that she sacrificed far more than I did to be in this industry, um, especially as a kid. But, you know, she she did it for me and it ended up putting me in a far better position in my life and earlier on. So when you got into a show like The Middle at Warner Brothers, mm -hmm. you like you were how old? Seven, eight when that kicked off. So when a lot of people don't know, there were two pilots. Um, I was the only cast member to be brought back from the original pilot to the second pilot, which is the one that you all know. Um, wow, okay. Yeah. And so that first pilot I did when I was eight and then it didn't get picked up. And then a year and a half later, I'm, I'm 10 by this point and the producers call me up and they, they go, can we take you out to brunch? It was very posh. Uh, and then, and then when I'm there with my mom, they pretty much say, uh, we got another shot to do the show and we can't do it without you being brick. And would you come back to be brick? It's like, yeah. <laughs> Where do Hollywood producers take a 10 year old to right. for a post brunch? Right. Right. <laughs> so. <laughs> uh, so you, you got signed on the pilot got approved. Mm hmm. You started. What did your life turn into? Especially like what, like again, your mom is taking you to these places. Right. Hectic mania was really the best way to describe it. Um, every everybody, especially on our show, they all talked about how much they they loved working on our show, and I do know that out of any of the shows that were on ABC at that time, I know that the that ours was the best one. Um, we had the best lot. I would never have wanted to be on any other lot at that particular point in time for mm -hmm. growing up. Um, and it was one of those things where, you know, my life, I knew when I got the call that, hey, the, the show got picked up. I knew that my life was not going to be the same. Mm -hmm. um, and and there are positives and negatives to that, of course. Um, definitely. I I know... I know without a, a shadow of doubt in my mind, I would not have wanted my life to go any other way. Um, but it does not change the fact that there were obviously challenges and adversities. And when you work with 250 people with different mindsets or belief systems or whatever, there's going to yeah. be a, a kinetic strife that occurs. Mm -hmm. And there was. And and to, to say that there wasn't would be lying. I mean, that's just the reality of any job. Um, and that's something that a lot of people don't understand. I, I One of the things now with the Twitch work and the YouTube and all that stuff that I do, um, I get so many people that 
you know, they ask, oh, well, well, are you still in touch with the other cast members, or are you guys still friends, or whatever. And when I say no, they immediately think that something's wrong, or that I did something. Sure. And it's like, hold on, this is, I mean, this is just the way that it is with jobs. They, a lot of people, and it's mostly younger people, they associate us as a real family, yeah. which I don't blame them for. That's good. That means we acted very well. That means well. you did your job. Yeah, we did our job well. And that's awesome. And again, the show itself, I always want people to have those fond memories of the show because there's an entire generation of people that are my age that literally grew up with me. I just yep. happened to be the one working and they were watching. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's just like any other job. Uh, there's highs and there's lows. Um, we, My mom and I both, we genuinely had to sacrifice a lot to be on the show. And a lot of people don't comprehend that. Um, I'm definitely by no means rich. I mean, being on the show, while it benefited me in many areas, it grew mm -hmm. me as a person and whatever. Um, it definitely was not the be all end all. And I can just cash out and retire at 19. Right. Which Justin Bieber did. That's not realistic for most people. Um, and so, and so, yeah, I'm, uh, it's, it's done. I'm very proud of what I was able to do. I'm even more grateful for the positive feedback I get from fans like you and your family and, uh, and the families that are watching this now. And, uh, I'm, my eyes are set on the horizon that, at, at, uh, new adventures to come. Yeah, so storytelling is your thing. That's yes. from when we talked last and even even today. You get excited about telling stories and being a part of stories being told. Absolutely. Um, and I I think it if well, here's a question. If you could define your American dream when you were a kid before mm -hmm. this started, what would it be? Before I even got into the middle, I remember that there was one time where um, my mom and I, uh, again, she, she had already been out of the Catholic faith for a very long time, mm -hmm. but we had been invited by someone who is a part of our homeschool co-op group to go to a mass. And it was at nighttime. And, um, due to all of the difficulty that we had been facing and everything like that, my mom wanted us to go. Um, and, uh, and we went and it was just such a beautiful, it was more reverential than I think many masses are these days from what I can see. Um, and again, I'm speaking not as a Catholic, yeah. but it, it's one of those things where when I, when I saw it and I saw this reverence to God and I, I it, you know, feeling that, that beauty and witnessing that, um, it was one of those things where like I was seven and I was like, I want to be a priest. <laughs> <laughs> when I grow up, I want to be a priest. And of course that, that changed as I, as I got to develop my relationship with God. And I really got to understand that, Hey, you don't need to be a priest to be close to God. Yeah. Cause that was actually what I wanted. I wanted to be close to God. And that's how and, you saw that would happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but then growing up and maturing and then coming to my, to, to the Lord and, um, giving my life to Christ when I was 13, uh, I'm sorry, when I was 15, uh, it, it, it meant so much more than, you know, and, yeah. and so to be able to fully understand that and go, wait a minute, I can be close to God and do whatever job I want to do uh, within reason. That's that's a huge blessing. And so then it began to shift. And as my talents started to come out and I started to hone them, it was like, wait, no, storytelling is my passion. Because as an actor, I can be whoever I, character I want to be as an actor. Mm -hmm. But as a director producer, now I can tell whatever story I want to tell because it doesn't, it's not hinging on me and my look 
in my capabilities. It's, it's, it's so much more than that. It's so much more of an integral hands-on part to that. And so that really excites me for sure. What does that look like if you could be doing anything? What is, what does telling a story look like to you or what's your favorite form to do that in? Cause you, you're given opportunities to do, I don't know what it was called. The Warner brothers directors workshop. Yes. Or, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, and you were given opportunities on set to right. direct scenes um, right. and really understand the behind the scenes in that world. Right. Is, is that where you feel like I you're know. supposed to be with this? Yes. A hundred percent. When I did the, so even before the Warner Brothers Directors Workshop, I had the opportunity to go to the Reagan uh, Library out here in California in Simi Valley. And um, they hosted a program called Film This. And it was where we could go. And uh, it was pretty much, you know, a little summer film school um, where we could make a documentary film of our choosing using footage from the National Archives. And so we were able to do that. I, I did the first class. And the teachers thought I was doing such an excellent job. They opened up a spot for me in the second class. Mm -hmm. And so I got to input two uh, short films into a film festival that they hosted. Um, my first film won best overall and my second one best edited. I watched and, that. Was that the, the one about the Berlin Wall? Yes. Yes. Yeah. That, that was the one that won best overall in this film festival. And then they kept inviting me back for three years after that to actually help teach the class. And uh, the Reagan Library had me direct um, and make some promotional videos for the library. And so it was just in in that moment, which was way back in like 2015, 2016, that I did that. I felt like this is what I'm supposed to do. Then I yep. was able to do it on a professional level with the Warner Brothers Directors Workshop. And the 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 director who is the, the teacher of that workshop um, her name is Bethany Rooney, and she's done a ton of television, um, all different types of shows. And she came up to me and she said, whatever you do in this life, you were born to be a director. And if you can overcome the stigma that people will place on you because of your height and your youth, mm -hmm. you will be an outstanding director. And that was just it, breathtaking for me in that moment. So directing is absolutely where my passion is. I want to uh, direct all different types of media, whether it be, you know, voiceover directing or theatrical for a TV show or for a movie. Um, that is absolutely what I want to do. That is my that is my passion and my goal. Um, I did approach my agents with it. And unfortunately, my agency is an acting only agency. Uh, they told they just told me flat out, there's nothing we can do to help you with directing. So I'm trying to get creative and figure out how to get into that in a more uh, making my own work fashion. <laughs> I was going to say, do you have to make your own thing? As a, or what, is, what does that look like as a director to tell you know, that you want to tell? It, it depends because I've, I know and I've heard multiple stories of people who um, they literally fell into it. And, and literally, yeah. and I mean, that's, that's what happened to me with acting. I fell into it by accidentally being sent on an audition. And then it, it snowballed from that point. So I know that directing is the same thing. I, I genuinely believe that I'm going to need to make my own work. I have one project in mind that I want to make happen. And my goal for 2023 is to write it and then sell it and then begin getting it made. Um, I can't speak too much on that, but that's the hope. So be, yeah. all, all the viewers be praying for me and be cheering me on. Um, but yeah, no, we, uh, it, it, it can happen with anything. I've, I've had a lot of people that 
uh, are young independent creatives who they want me to get involved um, as a character in whatever their project looks like. And uh, I'll be honest with you, the handful that have reached out to me, it's been very insulting. Um, it's very clear that they have not taken the opportunity to get to know me and the depth of what I can do. And yeah. instead they go here, we want you to be the cashier in this particular short film. And, oh, you have to pay your way out to Ohio to do it. And it's like, that's okay. We're thank you. Uh, no, <laughs> you know, right. it's, it's one of those things. I, I, now I am absolutely open though. If someone were to come up to me and be like, hey, I have this amazing script and I hear that you want to be a director, let's make it happen. I did have a couple people do that for me uh, when I was on the show. And uh, either it, it, it either it didn't quite work out because they weren't actually going to let me direct. It was very clear that they were going to be the director producer. Yep. Um, but then in, in on the other hand, it was just a timing issue where the, the timing of filming for a particular movie would have interfered with the middle. And at that time, because of my contract with the middle, I couldn't deviate from that. But again, now that I'm past that point, I'm absolutely open to people who are genuinely professional, do do this sort of thing. And they go, hey, we know that you uh, have talent as a director and we want to, you know, we want to work with you. We know that you have a vision yeah. and you can bring this vision of ours to life. Um, I definitely would be open to that. I think it'd be an amazing you know, process because especially as an actor, I think that that's a benefit that I have. I know it's one thing to know I'm a creative, right? Mm -hmm. It's another thing when you know the real deal, nitty gritty. And uh, you, you had mentioned it because I had mentioned this with you, and I, I don't mind discussing this here on this on this podcast, is that um, a lot of people will not know, but I made it my mission to learn when I was on the set of The Middle. I yeah. spoke with every department head. I had a notebook. I still have it that is full of notes that I took from shadowing every department head and the executive producer, Warner Wallian. Uh, he wasn't the showrunner, which was Eileen Heisler, who was head of creative. He was the head of the money. And so he taught me everything to do with all of that stuff. And I got the opportunity to direct several scenes in the show. Um, and for behind the scenes political reasons, they cut him out. Right. But I did have that opportunity. I was at the helm of at least four scenes in the show. Uh, and the last one that I did was the probably the juiciest because there was actually a, a, a scene full of dialogue between Eden and Charlie. And, um, and it was a, an amazing experience. I'm glad I had that experience. Whether or not it got recognized, obviously it didn't. But um, it, it is what it is. And I'm, I'm thankful for what I did. All of that gives me experience. So if I were to, if someone were to come up to me today and be like, here's the script and we want to make it happen, I would be able to handle that responsibility in a much healthier way because mm -hmm. I know the details of it. I would know, okay, we need a, a locked off camera and a steady cam, but we can get away with just those two things. We need a sound person and a lighting kit, but it doesn't need to be extravagant. Here's how yeah. we can shoot and make it look nice, etc. And also here's how we can work with actors and actresses in I would say a much more fair way rather than, you know, doing the favorites game and kind yeah. of just like placating people let's let's make it happen let's all be a cohesive unit uh in making a story happen yeah so i mean as much as or as, or as little as you want to get into it sure. how has your beliefs your political views any of that affected <laughs> being in southern california being in this industry 
um, and then trying to, I'd imagine that, that does affect you trying to make your own Absolutely. career or do or create your own work. Absolutely. And we're in a world now where it's like if you're not, if you don't check certain boxes, right, you don't you don't work. And if, that's it. Yeah. It, every, that everything like? that everything that you have just said is completely true. Um, it, it is factual. Um, and I have even had, it, it's not even a political thing at this point. Yeah. The way that the pendulum has swung is so far over and locked off in one direction that um, I even have had uh, uh, very liberal minded people express that there is no hiring based on talent in the world of the entertainment industry right now. Um, that's not that way across the board, but that has been my experience and the experience of many other people, mm -hmm. especially in voiceover work for some reason, which doesn't make sense. Um, that, that is a world where talent is what has reigned supreme, uh, for the most part, but it, it's at a point now where there's a lot of people that are hiring the people that they know. Um, and the people that are in positions of power in the industry, they change with frequency. Um, and so right now we're in that realm and many people, both young and old, um, uh, both conservative and uh, liberally minded people, they are all eagerly waiting for that pendulum to swing back to neutral. Yeah. Um, it doesn't need to be locked off at one extreme or the other. Just let it be neutral and hire based on talent and tenure. Uh, that would be, uh, that is, in my opinion, in the opinion of many other people in the industry, the most fair approach. Um, but I do know, and, and I've heard it said by uh, the people that have been casting directors, have been directors, have been working actors for decades, that I have, have taken workshops with them recently. They all have said uh, there are those producers that hire based on, well, I heard so-and-so said this at a party one time five years ago, so let's yeah. not hire him, right? Um, and, and it doesn't even have to be politically minded. I don't, I don't even really say that I'm conservative for the most part. My mom and I, we say that we're traditionalists. Oh, okay. um, I, do, I do have a more liberal slant in certain things. And obviously I'm, I'm very artistically minded and I'm a creative, but I also know what country we live in and I value the constitution for what it is. And so, um, you know, it, it's one of those things where that should not be a factor, uh, in the industry, I don't think. I think it should be that it, it, it is based on talent and your work ethic, which is really what it should be for any job, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, it, you it, getting an opportunity is one thing. Okay, I'm I'm so and so's cousin, nephew, whatever. All right, they're giving me an opportunity. That's great. But it's my job to then make that opportunity worth it and to yeah. show that I'm worthy of the opportunity. You don't get to keep a job just because of who you know, right? That's too common, though where you, you don't have to perform and like i don't even know if performs the right word try yeah. try your best right. right um and with employers with networking with anything it's people see through that people see through right. that pretty quickly absolutely um, even like then we could go down a rabbit trail here but like i watched the oscars last night like some of it and oh. i'm like it's interesting to see how certain projects or certain people's work gets made what gets made and then gets um appreciated right it, it is it, you know we live in a world and people forget this but if you feed someone the same thing long enough they accept that as their food 
and yeah. they just keep eating it. I know this to be true. I have a dear friend of mine. Well, it, our, our friendship has become rocky because he believes uh, the exact opposite of how I do in many things. But we, we've always kind of had a, a strong friendship. But um, his family does not know how to cook. And so I always use this as a as a uh, analogy that, well, he's been fed the same food his whole life and he doesn't yeah. really know what better quality food is. So he thinks this is good. And that's the way that unfortunately it is with my generation and also the younger generation, because this is all they know. Yeah. Uh, there's now a whole generation younger than you and I, who the only world that they know is the world of this. And that's it. They yeah. don't appreciate anything else. And I get, I, I have to hear it all the time with like, even with the rain thing uh, out in California. Oh, there's so much rain. There's all these negatives to it. No, there's not. Stop being a wimp. We need it. It's better yeah. now out here. Yeah. And then, you know, fo following up with you about what it's like living in Southern California. Southern California used to be like the rest of the Pacific Northwest, how it all used to be. It was a bunch of nice people who did their thing. Yeah, the cities were sketch, but it was one of the, and, and, and you know, even back when my mom was out here, because my mom's a California native, even out here in the 60s and 70s, there's weird stuff that happens. That's that way anywhere. Yep. But it was a bunch of just nice, real people doing their thing and living their life. And you had the artsy types and you had the hunter types and you had the whatever, you know, and I mean, literal hunter types. Yep. Uh, my mom, my mom remembers when there were men and women who had their rifles and their shotguns on racks in the back of their trucks and they would be driving through Burbank that way and nothing yeah. happened. No one batted an eye. So again, we, there, there's still a lot of really good quality people that are in California. And I, well, I'm, you know, to, I can say this here, but we had the most successful governor recall election in the nation's history, trying to recall Newsom for Larry Elder. Yeah. We had, but the problem was, is because of what happened in 2020, everybody didn't feel like going out and voting like they should have. Mm -hmm. And the fate of our of our of our country, the fate of our state was decided by nine million people. And we have a population of thirty nine million people. Right. So, again, nine million is what the voter turnout was. Mm -hmm. oh. Three million voted for the recall and six million voted against. Why? I don't know The when you look at the interviews of the people that were voting against the recall, they really didn't even know what they were doing. They just they just didn't want it to be a, a Trump yeah. thing. They're on, yeah, it's an uneducated vote. Right. It's an emotional vote. Right. That's it. And and, yeah. and it was an emotional non-vote from all of the people that should have voted. And 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 I've my my who I consider my pastor, who's a man by the name of Jack Hibbs, uh, he had said if the entire Christian population would have just voted in the state of California, the state of California would flip in one election. And and to be very clear. The point is not Republican or Democrat. Both right. parties have flaws and they're wrong. <laughs> yep. The the vote is either it's America or it's it's socialism is really yep. what it is. I am vehemently against socialism because it is in no way good ever. If you look at the history of it, it's wrong. We can be liberally constitutional or conservatively constitutional. We're still better than any socialist country. <laughs> yep. yep. So yeah, name one that's worked. It, the, right. <laughs> I can't I can't remember any. Uh, yeah. 
yeah, it's it's interesting to see how people they would prefer to be they'd prefer to be told what to do. They'd be they'd prefer right. to not value freedom. Right. Um I interviewed uh it was a Navy SEAL for mm-hmm. eleven years the other day. Um and he was talking about his tours in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And this would have been going back to, I think it was 2010, mm-hmm. somewhere, or uh, maybe before that. So we're a ways after the towers fell. Right. Um, and things just started really getting going in, in, in uh, Afghanistan instead of Iraq. Mm-hmm. And you have these tiny villages in the middle of nowhere. There's no roads. If you want to get in and out, you got to take a helicopter or you just exist right. there forever. Uh, and their unit's job was to make peace, build mm-hmm. connections, be, be friends with the families, bring them food, bring them whatever they need. And right. then at night when the sun goes down, you go get in gunfights because the Taliban's trying to wipe out this village. Right. If the Taliban really wanted to, they could. But right. they don't. They want to keep people under their control. Right. Um, And I was like, what happens when you leave? He's like, things would just go right back to where they were. Yeah. And the people don't fight. Right. And then we talked about like the U.S. pulling out of Afghanistan. Yeah. And he's like, it's sad because we would see micro versions of this where we would leave a village right. and then come back a few months later. And it's back to exactly where we where it was when we got there the first time. Right. And people don't want to help themselves. Right. They're like, can I eat today? And that's all I. Right. That's, that's all I it. care about. And it's a really sad reality. And we take that concept and make it we highlight and say oh this is how these countries function because they've been at war for so long right it's like look in your neighborhood you see it you see absolutely people who do not value work ethic well and 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 you're 100 percent right because there is no work ethic because there's no values anymore and the thing that i i i do i hold true to this belief and this is a topic that my mom and i discuss all the time and i'll discuss it with friends as well is that this is this is also a direct result of an absence of a Christ-centered faith. Mm-hmm. If you are not reading the Bible, then you don't understand work ethic, what you're supposed to be, whatever your role is, whether that be male or female, which both have uniquely special roles. Yeah. Um, you know how a society functions, what leads to blessings, and and what leads to curses. The thing is, is everybody, and especially cults, they want to take things out of context from the Bible and then make the whole Bible out to be a mystery. And it's not. God very clearly explains, if you do this, you will die. And I'm telling you not to do this, not because it's fun and I don't want you to have fun. And I'm telling you not to do this because if you do it, you're going to die. And I want you to be blessed because I love you. So take this road, even though it's more difficult at times because of the way the world is, but you will have life. You'll have blessings and not curses. Right. And, and that's something that's, that people have very much thrown way out of whack, uh, in, in this country, especially is that this country was founded and it's the only other country on earth. That's a covenantal nation with God, Israel being the first one, but we are a country that is a covenant with God and it has Judeo-Christian roots. And if you deviate from that, then you can't be surprised that you end up like the rest of the world. And 
And that's why, you know, even in our country today, the complacency that's going around is like those ones that are in the more secular nations, exactly what the, the Navy SEAL was talking about. So again, the, when, you, when you have an absence of Christ, when you have an absence of God, that's what's going to happen. A, a friend of mine had sent me a quote the other day from Saladin. And Saladin is, for those who don't know, he's the guy who took uh, Jerusalem back for the Muslims from the Christians in the Second Crusade. And he had said, if you want to destroy a nation, make sexual promiscuity common among the young people. Interesting. Yeah. It's happening. And nobody's getting up to do anything. Ever. And it's sad. Yeah, it's, uh, turns out God gives people what they want. Right? Not always, not always a good thing. No. Um, and, and what's interesting with that too is we have, which this is theologically debated. This is becoming a theology podcast. So <laughs> and no, it's my faith. I mean, they, well, uh, no. And, uh, like there's, there's the concept of common grace that God gave us, um, the ability to enjoy things because he's good, right. whether we accept him or not, because he's right. good. Um, and I think a part of that is the ability to desire f freedom. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's something that is, you would, you want to say innately human, but nationally it's, um, how would I say it? American. And, and it's, and it's yes. something that is at our roots that we've forgotten. And although if you ask a, a British person, they'll make fun of you and say, uh, you guys right. didn't escape. We got rid of you. We're sick of your complaining. Right. Right. <laughs> but, uh... right. No. And, 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 and again, if you look at the history of it, obviously there's all these different isolated incidents that people can point to and then take them out of context or yeah. whatever. But the, the problem too, is that we, something that I have come to learn is um, God is completely and 100% against globalism. We're not supposed to be homogenized together. We're not. He, he separated us at the Tower of Babel for a reason, right? right. And there's, he, he, and then from that, he separated the people of Israel for himself for a reason. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I, I think that in America, it, once again, it's funny because America being a covenantal nation with God, we are receiving the same attacks that any human receives if they are a Christian living in this world, right? As a Christian, we're set apart from the rest of the world uh, and, and we're set apart for God. And God makes it very clear, don't be like the rest of the world. Be the way that I have called you to be, male or female, whatever it might be, be who I've called you to be. Um and and I think too that in this country there are some there's so much homogenization that's going on, and there is a lot of the globalist agenda. And the problem with that is that people then don't think, okay, well, what's best for me, my family, my community, my state, my country? They just want it to be all homogenized, and they, it goes back to what you said: if you break it down and you break people their sole function will just be survival. Yep. Do I get to eat today? And is my heater still on? And can I watch my TV show or my porn or smoke my cigarette or have my drink or whatever I do? Okay, cool. You do whatever you want then. Yep. 
that's what it's come to. And that's very unfortunate. And that's that's where there's a lot of deprogramming that does have to occur in this country. Um, and, and it's very unfortunate how it's, it's developed, but it can be undone. But it takes work. And it's going to take a lot of work, not only from older people, but for, from younger people as well. And it's going to start with Abraham Lincoln on a bear with an AR-15 in the back. That's it, man. It, that's the emancipator <laughs> right there. Mm. <laughs> um, we have had opportunities to talk to, to talk to some really interesting people. Yeah. Through, the, through having this magazine and um, and networking through it, going to shot show, there's, there's been some cool, cool opportunities. Yeah. And something that I think everybody that's in media, everybody that writes, everybody that films, I'm a photographer too. I like mm-hmm. having how you portray someone's story is kind of it keeps people awake at night. I think it keeps creatives awake at night. And you're like, I hope I portray this person correctly. Right. Um, whether it's by word or an interview or um an article or any of that. Um mm-hmm. How have you, how, what do you think the most effective way to distill someone down to really understand kind of what makes them tick is? And I'd, I'd imagine you have interesting thoughts on this, especially seeing you write, you direct, right. and you're like, how do we, how do we take the little bit that I know of this person or the deep relationship I have with this person right, and share that with an audience? You know, it's, it's unique per the job. Right. So if I was to be if I was to be a writer um, and, and as I write, I'm really looking at the big picture of of the story, um, this TV show that I want to make. I, I actually have the beat board written out for the whole season, and I'm so grateful that I did that. Uh, what I did is I wrote the pilot episode first and then I said, OK, that that took a lot of effort. And to do this right, I need to make sure that I have my story arc correct. So I wrote the story arc. And what I did, because I know this is true from the directing and from the acting standpoint, there's two big things. Characters that listen to each other, because that's what makes the actors better at performing it and making it natural. And then what are the objectives? Does the, How does this character operate? Do they operate with their head, with their heart, with their gut? What is their objective? Meaning what is their desire? And do they have a controlling lie? Is there something that they're telling themselves, but the audience sees that's just simply not true, but mm-hmm. they believe it. And so they operate based on that controlling lie. And so when I, when I, now that I have the story arc written, it is so much more pleasant to write the rest of the season because now I have those stories, the arcs, the objectives, the, uh, how these characters behave, respond, et cetera, all lined up. And then now I can get into the juicy part, which is tell that story and make it funny. Um, and the best thing to this project I have in particular is a comedy project. I know that the best way of doing comedy is to tell it as a drama but it's funny and no, it, life it, is life is funny i was gonna say <laughs> you don't have to try that hard <laughs> exactly that's that's really how real life is and so i really am am uh when, when you distill someone if especially me as a person who i know i have been misunderstood multiple times by media and by acquaintances alike yeah. um is i really listen to this person 
Stop trying to imbue your objective or your stereotypical viewpoint onto this person. Listen to them. I'm coming on here because I know I can. I've got my real tree on and I have mm -hmm. all this decked out in the background. But the reality is, is when I go out and about, I'm just me. You know, I wear jeans and a t-shirt and a flannel and a hat. And I'm just a real person. Uh, I, I'm not overtly loud because we unfortunately still cannot be uh, with our no. opinions or or whatever or whatever it might be, our faith uh, in the state of California. But I do see that that's changing. Um, and you would be amazed at the don't tread on me flags, American flags, Trump flags um, that are on trucks and on stores and on whatever that I, I see on a daily basis now, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I think that it's very important that anybody, if they're wanting to be objective in how they break down a person and wanting to really understand a person, listen to them because they all the clues will be there uh, for those who are intelligent enough to process through that and really see. Even, even you and I, uh, having not known each other, you could tell by my subtlety that we are of the same mindset right through an instagram post and then through yeah. stream right you if you can pay attention if you see if you listen you'll know and that is very key i think uh for anything and and that's going to be something that i i use moving forward as i do do my own projects or as i direct or whatever i'm looking for talent i'm looking for a person who can be real regardless of their political affiliation or their faith Yep. I want real talented people that I can work with, whether that be an actor who's going to be the lead of a project I direct, or if that's going to be a PA who's going to be, you know, making coffee for the crew or for, you know, the production office or whatever. I want right. to see what is the personality. Are you going to be lazy and are you going to drop the ball and are you going to be pointing a finger of blame and exercising scapegoatism, you know, nine of the 10 hours of your workday? Or is it going to be that you're just going to be a real person, you have a work ethic, and you want to do the best job you can, regardless of the job? What do you? What type of creative work do you enjoy the most? Or if you were writing, take the story you're writing now, or or something mm -hmm. you'd like to be? Is it fiction? Is it nonfiction? You know, it, it depends. Um, it's one of those things where I have been thinking of story ideas to do since I was like twelve. Uh, I used to, I, I have a, um, an anonymous YouTube channel uh, where nobody knows it's me. I never show my face. You can barely hear my voice. And uh, I used to make stop motion animations when I was a teenager with my Legos. And I was always thinking of stories and I would do like World War II pieces. I did zombie apocalypse pieces and stuff like that. And it was just, it was so. I got to introduce you to someone then. Hey, nice. Okay. For sure. Um, but no, it, it was it was such an amazingly fun time. Um, and then later on, as as I was nearing the end of the show, I started to break down and go, OK, what are some stories that I can make happen? Um, if that's a way that I can go, then what, what should I do and how should I do it? And uh, I have fiction stories. I have nonfiction stories. You know, I have very austere post-apocalyptic pieces. I have more. Um, ethereal and spiritual pieces, you know, I, I have the range. Mm -hmm. uh, but this is one that I honed in on. And I have, you know, very specific reasons for that. And when I do get it made, I'll be able to speak on that significantly yeah. more and hopefully with you. Um, but, uh, but no, I, I think that any project can be outstanding if you choose to make it that way. So even if someone came up to me, 
And they were like, hey, we'll give you your first director's gig, but you're going to direct a Chick-fil-A commercial. I'd be like, fine, sign me up. Where where can we my go? My pleasure. And, and yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who's my crew? When are the shoot dates? And and w- what's the script? Because if you approach it that way, you mm-hmm. can make anything enjoyable. Anything. So I, I really do. I'm I'm just excited. I have not had the opportunity to sink my teeth into the behind the scenes work as much as I want to. And I'm chomping yeah. a bit too. Um, so upon being able to do that, I'm like, I'm stoked. I'm excited for whatever may come. So that's your big next big that's next my thing big you're next. working on. That's the that's the fingers crossed, my big next. <laughs> is creating that your a full time thing or what like what is your uh right now I'm lo- like yeah, right now there's a lot going on. My mom is uh, is going through some medical stuff right now that we're we're finally and knock on wood hopefully approaching the end of, mm-hmm. um, and uh, that's definitely been more all encompassing. Uh, my mom legitimately and genuinely almost died last year in 2022 uh, due to a complication, and a surgeon came in and saved her life. Uh, I know the surgeon that actually did. And, um, she's been on the mend and been healing and overcoming that challenge since then, which has been a long journey, but it's, again, we're nearing the end of that. Um, right now to keep me busy, I do do a lot of auditions all the time for voiceover work and for theatrical work. Um, haven't been hired for anything recently. Uh, mostly what I do is I have a little community on Twitch and I do, uh, gaming on Twitch, but I do it in a Christ centered way. Um, we, we open the streams with scripture, we end the streams in prayer and we kind of all support each other there. Uh, so I do that on Twitch and then occasionally I make up a video or two for YouTube and I get to share Mm -hmm. mostly, mostly me eating (laughs) on YouTube, which everybody's got to eat, right? Well, yeah, exactly. We had a a Bible study thing at a cigar lounge this weekend. Okay. There you go. Uh, And we, (laughs) it was, it was fantastic it was, it was cool the guy who set it up did a good job um and he's he started out saying uh what are the two or what what's the common denominator uh-huh. of humans and uh-huh. someone was like i think it's love i think everybody knows what that's like and then through a couple examples prove that's not true and he's like pain and food <laughs> <laughs> actually yeah there you go pain and food so having people watch you eat i mean that's I think that's all you need to do. Absolutely. It's it's relatable. I've got 50%. I've got 50% hooked. So, so. <laughs> no, but yeah, after after that, and once Mama Bear starts to get better and is on the mend, um, the making the show is gonna be my full time thing. I want to get that thing written. Um, I already have ideas of who I want to talk to to sell it to. And uh, I'm I'm excited about it, man. It's gonna be it's gonna be good. If it, it when when it goes. It's going to be a show that people of all generations are going to be able to enjoy. So. And it would be like a TV show type? Mm-hmm. Like a stream series? show. Yeah, like a stream show. So like okay. Netflix or Amazon Prime, that sort of deal. Very cool. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to learn more about that when, when there's more details out. Thank so. you. I appreciate that. Well, this is great. Uh, thank you for taking the time to do this. Oh, th- it's my pleasure. Genuinely and sincerely. This was a ton of fun um we'll uh we'll make sure we get whatever links you have um yes. your streams youtube channel anything else uh in the description of this when we post it sounds um, great and, and point people to what you're doing and hopefully however long it takes there'll be there'll be something cool on the end of this when you're I done with this it. project i love it thank you so much i appreciate you man awesome well thank you thank you